Over spring break a couple weeks ago, my oldest son, Luke, who's 15, uh, got his driver's permit. And so, uh, yeah, it's exciting and scary at the same time. So uh, if you'll pray for us. No, he's a very good driver, so uh, we're looking forward to him getting some time behind the wheel. And uh, leading into his test, you know, you got to study the signs, you know, on the road signs, study all the little traffic laws and rules and all that kind of stuff. So we're helping him out with some of that stuff. And really got me to thinking about some things that we just kind of take for granted and, uh, you know, some things in, in the DMV world and traffic world make a lot of sense and some do not. And so uh, trying to help Luke navigate all that, that sort of thing. Uh, but um, one thing I was just, I kind of found, I found kind of curious and maybe you do too, but um, I was wondering like if, like if there's intelligent life out in the universe and they were able to come to the earth and study us and all that kind of stuff, what they would think about the DMV uh, and, and think about driving in general. And so there are a lot of good people in the DMV, um, but there are some interesting things that, that when I just stopped thinking about it, I hadn't thought about it in a while, but uh, as, as you're thinking about driving down the road in your car and you're going one way and another car is coming at you or you know, a couple thousand uh, pounds in a car, or if it's, you know, maybe a big truck coming towards you, you know, trucks, those semi-trucks weigh somewhere around 35,000 pounds when they don't have anything in them. When they're loaded, they're like 80,000 pounds. And, you know, I just wonder if a, an observer from somewhere else were to see, like, one car going this way, one car coming this way, or a car going this way and a big truck coming this way. I might wonder, well, how, how do these cars and trucks go against each other and not hit each other, right? I mean, it's a pretty good, fair question. And maybe they'd say, is there some invisible barrier between the cars on the road? Uh, so, no, there's no invisible barrier. Is there a magnetic field that keeps cars from hitting each other going one way or the other way? Well, no, there's no magnetic field. Or are your cars programmed uh, not to hit each other, right? So maybe some are, but most are not, right? So... Well, how do cars go one way, cars go the other way? How do they do that without crashing into each other? And our answer would be what? There's a line of paint right down the middle of the concrete and the asphalt. You mean the only thing that's keeping you from crashing into each other is a simple line of paint on the road, right? Again, 80,000 pounds in a truck going 35, 45, 55, 65, 70 miles an hour. If it just veers across that paint, what's going to happen? Wham, right? You and your most precious cargo, your friends and your family are probably going to be gone, right? So you're telling me that you trust your life and the life of your friends, family, the most precious things to you. You trust all of that, to some simple paint on some concrete or asphalt. Now, to those of us who drive, it makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? Yeah, we just, we know that. Other people who drive know that. They've gone to the DMV to get that, right? The police will enforce that, so it makes a lot of sense. But to someone who is outside of that culture, you might be thinking, that sure is crazy. You're trusting a whole lot in just a little strip of paint on the concrete on the asphalt. So in essence, when we're driving on the road, what we're really doing is we're placing faith, we're placing faith in some paint on the road. We're placing faith in strangers who we don't know what condition they're in. We don't know if they're medicated, we don't know if they've been drinking, we don't know if they can see. Right? We're putting a lot of faith in other people to follow the rule not to cross the paint. And for some of us, it makes all the sense in the world, but for some of us, if we stop and think about it, it's frightening and it's foolish. 
But how'd you get here today? <laughs> you got in your car, you got on the road, you got on the, on, the, on the highway, and you put your faith in that pain. So in our culture, we have faith in some interesting things that might not make sense. Well, I, I use that as an introduction uh, to this sermon series in which we're talking about faith and reason. Right? We're trying to think about, as followers of Jesus, does believing in a God that we can't see, trusting a book that's over 2,000 years old, right? does that make sense? Can we have faith that's rational? Right? We talk to a God that we might not be able to hear. We spend time and we spend money serving this God. Can our faith in God be rational? And for those of us who believe in Jesus, who follow Jesus, is it acceptable for us to believe what science says, right? That there was a Big Bang Theory, that evolution happened, right? Can we trust science? Can we trust philosophy? Can we trust people who think and rationalize? Is it okay for people of faith to trust reason? Right? So that's what this series is about. That's what we're exploring today. We kicked it off last week. If you missed that, you can jump online and see what that happened. Um, but let me just go tell you where I land on this. I think that our faith as followers of Christ is reasonable. We'll talk about that today. And I think that as followers of Christ, it's okay, it's faithful if we learn from science, if we learn from philosophy, if we use our brains to think about things. I don't think that faith and reason are as opposed to each other as much as people in the world might think. But I guess the question today is where do you stand on that? Is your faith reasonable? Do you consider knowledge outside of faith acceptable? And so let's think about that today. Again, we're trusting, right, strangers to obey a simple law of paint down a driveway or a highway, right? Is our faith reasonable, right? Is it faithful to use reason or science and think about things like that in our life? So let's, let's think about this, right? I want to start off with science today. Let's just look at a definition for science, it's the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. That's a lot of words right there, isn't it, right? The Oxford Dictionary, they, they're, they're doing their job, right? So basically, we observe things, uh, we experiment, and we come up with ideas, we come up with scientific theories, and we try to prove them, right? And a lot of things have been come up with, a lot of things have been proven, but even in science there's an element of faith, right? Until the scientific theory, as rational as it can be, is proven, it's still what? A theory, which means that it's a rational approach, but at the end of the day, it's the scientist is putting faith in their reason and ability that this is true, right? And so until it's proven, science is a sort of faith. It's a, it's a rational sort of faith, right? For example, the Big Bang Theory, right? That the universe just started in a, in a Big Bang and, and when there was nothing, right? It, it's a reasonable theory, right? But no one can prove that because none of us were around back then, right? And so at the end of the day, it's a rational, argumentative kind of a theory. But at the end of the day, it's a leap of faith, even though it's scientific. Even people who are atheists, who don't believe in God, who say that there's no God, that actually is a leap of faith, isn't it? Because no one can prove that it's not a God. Right? You can assume there's no God. You can rationalize that there's no God. But you can't prove that there's no God. So even an atheist, someone who doesn't believe in God, 
is actually practicing a form of faith. Interesting to think about uh, when you look at it in that lens. Um, Let's think about our faith as followers of Jesus who read the Bible and trust what's in the Bible. Is that reasonable, right? Are we reasonable to have faith in a God we can't see, in a God who supposedly walked on water, came back from the dead, right? Is, Is that reasonable, to people who are out in the world. What is, what is that? Does that make sense? So let's think about that. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this as far as like, uh, you know, if a scientist went to a pond and they grabbed up a bunch of water and they put some drops onto a slide and they looked on it through a microscope, uh, you'd probably see a lot of little life forms kind of buzzing around, right? In that, that little, that slide, that little drop of water, all these little microbes and organisms and that kind of stuff. Um, and those microbes and those organisms have no idea that anyone's looking at them, right? And they have no idea that the pond that they live in, which is probably, right, the, the whole world to them, they have no clue that that pond's part of a, a, a world that's part of a universe that's so huge. They have no idea that there are things bigger themselves in the world that can observe them. Now, is it a stretch for us to think that we as human beings in our everyday lives, right, that there's not something bigger or smarter than us that's observing us like a scientist observes like a, a drop of water on a slide, right? If, right? if that is like a self-contained world, our world could be a part of something much bigger with something that we would call God who is bigger than us and can observe us and can intervene into our lives. So I don't think that is a is unreasonable to think, right, that there might be something bigger than us that has intelligence, that is observing us, and is interested in our lives and what we're doing. So I don't, I don't think that's a big leap, like a big stretch to be reasonable. Now, I know that some people also think, well, all right, okay, so if there's a God, and that God cares for you, and that God answers prayers, like how can God listen to literally billions of prayers a day and keep it all straight? Right? I can't even keep my grocery list straight. Like how, how can a God who is the God of everything know everything that you're thinking and that I'm thinking and I'm offering up prayers and you're offering up prayers like hurry up and get through this sermon. Right? We're offering up these prayers. How can God process that? I don't know if you saw the movie. It's been a while. A Jim Carrey movie called Bruce Almighty where he was a human being and he got the power of God. Uh, and he had all these prayers coming in. He decided to make the prayers in the forms of post-it notes so we could see them. Right, and his room filled up in post-it notes immediately, like, right, because all these prayers from around the world, right, and, and so instead of answering them all, he just said yes to all of them. It was mess, right, and so uh, how can God process billions of prayers every day on one planet? Who knows what other prayers are being offered up somewhere else in the universe, right, if there's life elsewhere. How can God do that? Maybe God's just got a brain like a computer who can just access lots of data and deal with it, right? You think about the big bulky computers that used to be, right, can't do what our little phones can do now. Maybe God's technology is just much better than ours. Uh, or you think about, like, think about your, your brain when it was a baby. And you think about Einstein's adult brain, you know, the difference between a baby brain and an Einstein adult brain. So maybe our brains are like baby brains and God has this big Einstein brain. And God can process more information than us, right? I don't think it's unreasonable that there could be a a, a more intelligent being in the universe that can handle more data than we can handle. And, you know, people say, well, do you really think Jesus came back from the dead? Right, was he really resurrected? Like, you know, we've never really seen somebody resurrected like that uh, who's been gone for, you know, like three days. I mean, we've seen people on the... On the, on the operating table who've died, they've been shocked back to life or, or whatever, but someone to come back to life and be resurrected, that doesn't sound reasonable. 
Well, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've talked a little bit about that. And if you missed that, we, we talked in the last two Sundays. We had Easter Sunday and Sunday after Easter about how we think the resurrection is reasonable. Uh, and I gave a lot of that information. But just one, one short snippet of that today. You know, to me, it's kind of like when we die, right, what's to God, so to stop God from taking our consciousness, right, and just kind of uploading that to wherever heaven is, and then downloading it into the new body that, that God's got waiting on us, right? It, it, it makes sense, right? It could happen. Right? We've talked about the past couple of weeks about how human scientists, geneticists are, are confident that they're able to hack the software code of our bodies to when our heart wears out, you can restart your heart. When our lungs wear out, you can restart your lungs. When our eyes give out, they can restart your eyes. And we could just keep doing this and live as long as we keep rebooting things. If human beings can do that, what could God do? Right. And then when you get into science, like quantum mechanics, that's the study of the little bitty particles in the world, like atoms and what make up atoms and electrons and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they have this, this also this pretty cool theory that it, the smallest thing that exists in the universe are these little bitty strings that make up everything else. It's called string theory, right? When scientists study all these little bitty things, they figured out that they don't know what's really going on because when they stick their little bitty microscopes into these little bitty things, right, they observe what's happening, but it changes the environment. So when they take the microscope out, they don't know what's going on, right? To me, it's called the uncertainty principle. If they're not sure what's going on, that gives God movement in the world to do things like walk on water, or cause a storm to stop, right? To bring someone back to dead, right? The, 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 the things that make up the world that we don't really know what's going on, I think that gives God room to move, right? How many dimensions are there, do you know, that, that we can see, right? We, we think about 3D movies and three dimensions, right? Uh, and so we've got height and width and depth, right? That's the 3D image that you can see. A lot of people add a fourth dimension to that. That's time, right? We have bodies that are height, width, and depth that are moving through time. So there's four dimensions. Astrophysicists, like these, or these physicists that study uh, stuff like this, they believe that in the universe, there are actually 10 or 11 different dimensions. So there's somewhere between six or seven dimensions that we can't see. To me, it's reasonable that that's space for God to move and do things that we just don't understand, but God understands. If they're really 10 to 11 different dimensions that, that these physicists believe in rationally, right, that that's room for God to do things that we would think are miraculous, but for God, it's like everyday things, right? That's interesting to me that our faith can be reasonable. Now, Let's look at the other side of things. Look at, let's look at science and see how science sometimes can be stranger than fiction. That if you believe in science, that it's taking a leap of faith. Okay, let's think about that, all right? Just when you look out at the stars tonight in the sky, you know what you're really doing? You're looking out in the stars in the sky tonight. You're looking into the past. You're looking into something that happened a long time ago because star light come from suns around the universe that have burned out. And they're so far away that it takes light an incredible long time to get here. And so when we're looking at stars in the sky, we're looking back into the past. Isn't that crazy? Right? That's just weird, right? but it's true. Even when you're looking at me right now, 
you're looking into the past. It's a, it's a matter of nanoseconds for like really short time, but it takes light time from your eyes, right, to see the light bounce off me and bounce back to your eyes takes some nanoseconds, right? So we're never seeing each other in real time. It's always delayed. Now, it's very short, very short, right? But, but that's just weird, isn't it, right? right? That's, that's, that's a, a leap of faith when we think about things like that. Uh, I was reading this book, uh, and it's talking about other things like that in science. They say if you had a 40-foot-long pole and you wanted to put it into a 20-foot-long wide barn and shut both doors without the pole going through it, could you do that? 40 feet long, right? 40-foot-long pole, 20-foot-long barn. Could you fit the pole into the barn, shut the doors, and not have the pole go through the doors? Science says you can't if you run fast enough. If you can run fast enough with that pole towards the speed of light, you can fit the 40-foot pole in the 20-foot barn. Now, the problem is if you stop, shut the door, then the pole expands and busts it out, right? So, but if you can run the speed of light, you can take a 40-foot pole, put it in a 20-foot barn, okay? Did you know if you live in a house that has two stories, right, first floor, second floor, if your bedroom's on the second floor and somebody else in your bedroom, in your house's bedroom is on the first floor, right, for you on the second floor, you're living life at a faster pace, right? your time is going by faster than the person who lives on the first floor. And the faster we go, right, towards speed of light means we age slower, right? So when you live in the penthouse, right, it really is a good place to live, right? You're living faster than other people, right? I mean, that's like 20 stories or 40 stories, right? Time is going by faster the higher you go, and you're slowing down your aging rate, okay? Now, that's, again, a matter of nanoseconds, like very, very little time. But as you get higher up into like the atmosphere where we put satellites in orbit around the earth, like for GPS for our phones, right? If the people who do the GPS don't adjust for what I just told you, right? For every day that they don't adjust it, it's going to be off by 11 miles, okay? So if I went on my phone today and said, hey, Siri, how do I get to state 48? She'll say, step outside the church and take a left, stupid, right? It's right there, right? It's right here. But you need a three-month advance to get the reservation, right? <laughs> if the GPS people don't adjust for time going faster, the higher you get, I would walk outside and I'd be 11 miles off. Doesn't that sound crazy? That's the way the world works, right? That's the way the world works. If you had a twin sister, if you had a twin brother, and you put your twin, right, on a rocket ship and it approached the speed of light, they went away and they came back, it would look like they haven't aged. Like if they went away for an hour and they came back, they'd look like they were an hour older. But you would be old or dead because time is relative. The faster you go to the speed of light, right, speeds up, all that kind of stuff, right? So the twin that goes away and comes back looks just like they did. The one that stayed on the earth is going to be old or dead. That's science, right? To me, that sounds like crazy fiction, doesn't it, right? So I think our faith can be reasonable, and reasonable things can sound like you need a lot of faith to believe that, right? Isn't that interesting? Uh, if you want to read more about this, is a book that I read, Now the Physics of Time by Richard Mueller. He talks about all this. He talks about the math behind it that I can't understand to save my life. Um, but check it out. Right, if, you, if, you, if you think science got all figured out, it's some crazy stuff in there 
uh, if you want to check that out. Now, what about the Bible, right? As we think about the Big Bang Theory, we think about evolution. Uh, how does that gel with the Bible where God created stuff, right? Do you remember like in, in the Bible, there's two different creation stories, right? So in Genesis chapter 1, there's this orderly list of when God created. On the first day, God this. On the second day, God created this. On the third day, God created this. On the fourth, you know, you've seen the list. In Genesis 2, we have a similar story, but it's different. It, it's more of a story. It's about characters. It's about Adam. It's about Eve. It's about serpent, right? All that kind of stuff. And so chapter 1 of Genesis is a, a orderly historical kind of thing. Chapter 2 of Genesis is more of a story. Now let's check this out, right? Let's look at this in Genesis 1. All right, so in Genesis 1 on the left, these are the seven days that God created the world, right? God made the light, firmament in the sky, dry land and vegetation, lights, that means the sun and the moon, birds and fish, animals and humans. Humans were created at the same time. Male and female were created at the same time. There's no mention of Adam or Eve. Uh, and the seventh day, God did what? He rested, right? Hope you guys rest today, right? Sabbath made for rest, Sunday's made for rest, that kind of stuff, right? So that's Genesis 1. Now, if you go to Genesis 2, it says this. Earth and heavens, mist and water, man, Adam created, then Garden of Eden, then trees, then rivers, then animals, then woman, Eve. It's a little different. Which one's right? Can they both be right? Have you, you ever even seen that? Like sometimes like, wow, that's in the Bible? <laughs> I've heard that a million times. I never knew that. Right, which one is right? Now, to be fair, in Genesis 2, right, the translation says God formed man, God formed the Garden of Eden, God formed trees, God formed rivers. But another translation you can use says that God had formed man, God had formed trees, God had formed rivers. So maybe the order in Genesis 2 is not necessarily out of order. Okay? So it depends on how you translate that word for formed or had formed. Don't lose your faith here, okay? <laughs> Hang on a second. I don't want to blow your mind. Oh my gosh, Genesis is wrong. It's not. Okay? Here's what I think we need to keep in mind. The Bible is a book of truth. What it says in Genesis is true. God created everything. What Genesis is not, it's not a science book. It doesn't say how God created, right? So did God create in a 24-hour day? Probably not because what's a 24-hour day? It's the amount of time that the earth rotates on its axis in relationship to the sun. When was the sun created? The fourth day, right? So I doubt it was a 24-hour day. The Bible's not a science book, but the Bible's a book of truth. What's important from the book of Genesis is that it says a truth, God created the earth. Absolutely believe that, God created the earth. How God did that, I don't know. Did God use the Big Bang Theory? Did God use evolution, right? Don't know, but God created, right? That God created is important, right? More so than how God created. And the other thing that's important is why God created. Why did God create the earth? Why did God create humans? Why, did, why are we here? God created us to be in relationship. God created us to be in relationship with God. God created us to be in relationship with each other. And God created us to take care of this beautiful plant that God gave us, right? Science never answers the why, right? Like why was there a big bang theory, anything like that, right? The Bible tells us that God created. The Bible tells us, right, why God created. And it tells us that God had intention in creation. If God created the universe with the big bang theory, Right, science would say that that just was accidental, it happened, right? As followers of Jesus, we would say it wasn't accidental, it was intentional. God created the universe, 
He lit the candle, boom, it went up. God created it, right? So do you see what I'm saying, right? The Bible's not a how God created. It's a why God created, that God created, and God created with intention, okay? So let's look at another passage of Scripture here from Proverbs. Uh, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. So just leave that up here for a second, Grayson. Right, this is talking about God creating. Are you thinking about faith and reason, that sort of thing? What does it say? God used wisdom. God used understanding. God used knowledge. Faith and reason are not enemies. Right? They work together because that's who God is, right? Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Right? That's a beautiful thing, right? So, kind of to recap where we are to, to this point, just a few points I want to I show today. Let's skip to that next slide. Right? One is that all truth is God's truth. So, if the universe started in a big bang, and that's true, we don't know. But if it was, right, then that's the way God wanted it to be, right? All truth is God's truth. Right? If the higher you go in the earth, higher up in your house, that time goes faster, that's the way that God made the world. Right? That's just how it is. If you can take a 40-foot pole and put it in a 20-foot barn if you run fast enough, right? that's awesome. That's the way God made the world. Right? So as science figures things out, as philosophy figures things out, we have nothing to be scared of as followers of Jesus because that's how God has created the world. That's how God has created the universe. We don't have to be scared of that. We can embrace that, and we can learn more about God. Okay? Next point is, again, distinguish between the how and the why, right? How did God create it? Not exactly sure, but I trust that God created us to be in a relationship with each other, to be in a relationship with God, right? That God's the creator and God did it intentionally, right? And then finally, right, to follow Jesus, we don't have to check our brains at the door, right? We're supposed to have faith and follow God, you know, blindly, absolutely. But there are a lot of smart people who follow Jesus, there are a lot of scientists who follow Jesus. There are a lot of Ivy League people who follow Jesus. There's, there's, right? When we come in this space, right, when you check your coat at the door, you don't have to leave your brain at the door, okay? You can be a follower of Jesus and be intelligent, right? It's, it's not an oxymoron, right? We can be intelligent and we can worship God, right? We can be intelligent and we can worship God. So what I'm saying is it's okay to study science, it's okay to study philosophy. It's okay to think. It's okay to debate. It's okay to argue. Right? It's okay to have questions. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to wrestle with doubt, right? Because God's big enough and all truth is God's truth. Right? So if you're wrestling with some things right now, that's okay. Right? John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, we're a Methodist denomination said, when you're trying to figure out, you know, what to do in your life and resources, are you hearing from God or not? He said, there's four resources that we use. We should look at what the Bible says. We should look at what the Christian church teaches. We should base it upon our experience of God in the world. He also says to use your reason, to use your brain. Your brain's an important gift. God gave you a brain for a reason. Use it. Think. It's okay to think. So think it's okay to question. Right? So I think that's, that's powerful stuff. Now, uh, having said that, and thinking that our faith can be reasonable, that sometimes science seems more like faith than it does fact, right? Even with all that said, at the end of the day, when we're thinking about following Jesus and believing in Jesus, ultimately, it comes down to a leap of faith. 
At some point, we're just going to have to trust that Jesus is who he says he is and does what he says he does. Right? That he's the son of God, that he's God himself, that he came to save us, that he created the world, he created us to be in relationship with each other. At some point, as rational as we can think about it, as rational as we can argue it, right, there's a whole thing called a Christian apologetics that thinks about faith rationally. It's not apologizing, it means something else, right? But at the end of the day, we have to take a leap of faith that Jesus is who he says he is and has done what he said he will do, right? which is what? He died on a cross and he came back to life so that we can be in a right relationship with God. Right? The Bible teaches us that we are all created in God's image and that is good. Right? And that we can do good things in the world. There's a lot of goodness in all of us. But we also have the freedom to choose and sometimes we choose poorly. And we do things that hurt other people. We do things that hurt ourselves. And so we do wrong things, which the Bible calls sin. And from that comes guilt and shame and death and hell. Hell is broken relationships, right? It's brokenness from, from separation from God, separation from each other. And Jesus said, that's not the way I intended it. So Jesus came and he died on the cross and he came back to life, right? When he died on the cross, he took our sin and our guilt and our shame and our death and our hell and he defeated it when he came back to life and now is able to forgive us. Now is able to give us joy and life to the full, right, now and forever, right? That is a leap of faith. And a lot of people in the world see that as foolish. Check this out in 1 Corinthians. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Some people see it as foolish, but we see it as the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not made God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks, non-Jews, look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. You mean the God of the universe allowed himself to be killed? How foolish was that? But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, God calls all to Christ. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Why do we talk to a God that we can't see or hear? Why are we giving up our time on a Sunday morning when we could be sleeping in or being out on the golf course somewhere? Why do we give our money? Why do we love our enemy as ourselves? Why do we turn the other cheek? Because we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did, right? He died on a cross and came back to life. And that makes us fools for the world, and that's okay. That makes us fools for the world, and that's okay. So what's the point today? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway? I think this is it, right? Be a fool for Jesus. Believe in Jesus, right? It can be rational. It can be seen irrational, right? And as we talked about last week, what do you have to lose? Give it a try, right? Live as if Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, that he does what he says he will do, right? Be a fool for Jesus. But I want to also add this qualifier to it. Be a smart fool for Jesus, okay? 
you don't have to leave your brain at the door. You can read science. You can read philosophy. You can debate with people. You can talk to people. You can think, right? You can, you can study things, right? Be a smart fool for Jesus, right? So one action step I want you to consider this week as you think about faith and reason. And this is going to come straight out of the Bible. Okay, this is from 1 Peter 3.15. Put, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Right? Jesus is Lord. That is a statement of faith. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Why do you believe in Jesus? Why are you here today? Right? Maybe you're searching for Jesus, and that's okay. If you're not there yet, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're exploring that. But for those of us who follow Jesus, why is that? Is it blind faith? That's okay. Is it reasoned faith? That's okay as well. Right? And this is important, the last, last sentence, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's not what they do on social media. <laughs> it's not what they do on the television talk shows, right? But, but God's telling us here, right, tell people why you believe what you believe, right? And, and you do it, do it with gentleness and with respect. Be a smart fool for Jesus and be ready to tell people why you believe, right? Why do you believe? Maybe that's the step that you need to go home this week and pray about. Why do I believe in Jesus? I've always believed in Jesus. It's something I was brought up in and did I actually choose that, right? Does it make sense to me or I just love the leap of faith part? Why? Do you follow Jesus? Right. Started out talking about how we have faith in a line of yellow paint going down the road, right? We do. We have faith in a line of paint. We trust strangers on the road who are driving missiles at us, right? Sometimes 80,000-pound missiles coming at you and your family. You have faith that they're not going to cross that line. You have faith. And, and some, some of us think that's smart. Some of us think that's foolish, because guess what? Sometimes people cross the line, don't they? Sometimes those cars come over and they cause terrible accidents because people have been drinking, uh, people are on their phone. Oh, I'm so important. I've got to take this call or this message right now, right? Sometimes people get tired. Sometimes people have heart attacks, right? People come across that line all the time. Sometimes we're the ones that cross the line, right? And we hurt someone else. But we keep that faith in that yellow line, don't we? We still take our kids, we take our families, we get on the road, and we have faith in the yellow line of paint right down the road. Right? Same thing, working in the Christian faith, right? We have faith in a God we can't see or hear in ways that you see and hear me. Right? We, we, we read a book that's over 2,000 years old. We believe Jesus walked on water. We believe he turned water into wine. We believe he came back to life. Right? We, we believe that he died on the cross, that he loves us, all that stuff. We're, we're, we're going down the line of faith. And just like things cross the line in traffic, things cross the line to challenge our faith as well. We get sick. Someone that we love dies. We lose our job. Our relationship falls apart. There are things that go across that line that challenge our faith. And sometimes we go across the line and we lose that faith. Right? Sometimes things go across the line, rational arguments. There's no way a God can exist. Look at this philosophy. Look at this scientific fact. Right? Things bombard our faith and cross the line all the time. But the followers of Jesus that I know, they end up following that yellow line of Jesus. They trust. They have the faith. Even though things cross the line and we cross the line, we keep coming back to that line. And some would say it's foolish. And some would say it's the power of God. Why are you following that line of faith of Jesus? Right? Jay and Casey, who brought their young son to be baptized today, 
put faith in Jesus. Thank you guys for doing that. You want to raise your son in the faith. And guess what? After church today, they're going to strap him in his car seat, put him in the car, and get out on the road and trust a yellow line right down the line and trust the strangers in the other lane, right? If we can trust a line of paint on a road risking our lives and our family's lives, can't we trust that there's a God who loves us? Can't we trust that Jesus is real, that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he says he does? Right? I think we can. I think we can. What do you believe? Where is your faith? Be a smart fool for Jesus and give God a chance. Our faith is reasonable. Our faith is worth taking the leap. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.